You are so well informed, sir. Is it that freshly shaved bald head of yours? That's what it is. It makes my brain work better. It makes all the juices flow uh, in all to in all the right places. Are you, are you, I like juices. Are you like Birdman? What? You, you, your head can more efficiently Bird collect can, can collect the rays of the sun. Yes, that's what it is. Because your head is fresh, freshly shaved. Whatever you say. from the anime Kakumeki Valvrave by the artist Elisa. And you're listening to episode 184 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, where our sole mission is to make your anime addiction worse. Well, thank you, guys. My name is Mitsugi, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chiaki and Cram, so go ahead and say hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Hello. It's a perfectly fine, blisteringly hot day in Japan. Really, it's just hot because there's no central air in the houses. It's pretty oppressive outside, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's not that bad outside. Yeah, whatever. No, it's Florida it's not people. at Florida level yet. We're we're getting there. I will grant it's you, gonna, we're getting it's there, get but there. it's gonna get there. Well, Florida already got there about in February. Yeah. So Tennessee's pretty bad, guys, too, as as well, also. Anyway, you can find us at our website, www.aaapodcast.com. We're also on iTunes, where you can subscribe and get all of the updates when we have new episodes. And, of course, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast. Twitter at AAA Podcast. And live every Sunday or every Saturday night at 8, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ustream.tv. So... Thank you, everybody in the chat that's joining us live. We, Give uh, us your Saturday nights. Yes. And your souls. That oh, too. Now, now. Delicious, delicious souls. I like them with cherries. Don't be too greedy with the souls there, Cram. I know how you like to, you know. Nom, 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 nom. Anyway, so we have, again, upgraded the audio tech for the show by adding another mic. Woohoo! So this episode, you should be enjoying even higher audio quality brought to you by the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. So Ostensibly, we'll see. Ostensibly, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. If, if Mitsugi can manage to not screw up having the extra channel on the mixer uh, for the first time ever. So we have a five-star review on, on iTunes, and so who would like to read it? 
I'll I'll read it. Sure, why not? Okay. Okay. Our five-star review comes from codename Sailor B. Who's in the chat, by the way. Hello. Hello. And codename Sailor B writes, I absolutely adore this podcast. I'm 22 years old, and I've been watching anime since I was five years old. It's absolutely wonderful to hear not only a group of people so well-versed in their anime, but intelligent people oh, so well-versed in their anime. Thank you. I consider myself not a dumbass on a regular basis. <laughs> I, I'm a dumbass. I fooled you. Oh, Mitsugi. It also helps that the hosts are all originally from the U.S. and currently living in Japan. My number one problem with podcasts is the lack of women. Woo woo! I love being able to hear the points of view from both men and women, and this podcast does just that. Thanks, AAA, for existing and fueling my love for anime. We're happy to exist. I like existence. I'm rolling a tear right give now. Me that was all, touching. Give me all of your women. Codename Sailor B, you touched us. How much us. for the women? In how fantastic <laughs> places. We really enjoyed it. Your the, wife and your daughters. The little how girl. much for them? The little girl. How much for the little, how much for the little girl? <laughs> what movie is that from, Cram? Blues, Blues Brothers. Brothers. Loving that. Loving Blues that. Blues Kyodai. So, yeah, Bruce Kyodai. Bruce Kyodai. So, like, Bruce Brothers. Booze Brothers. Booze Brothers. For those of you that don't know, Boo is the fart sound noise in Japanese. Booze Brothers. So, we have five new forum members. So, welcome to Zozosa, Z Joss, Night Shift, Perplexed Panda, and Lazy Walrus. Interesting. I think I will take Perplexed Panda. I like Lazy Walrus. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, if, if you want Lazy Walrus, I could also take Night Shift for Night Shift Nurses. I want the one I can't pronounce. Zjils. Okay, very nice. So we also have trivia this week. The correct answer to the trivia, which is continuing the theme of panty shots, is Bakemonogatari. That was last week. Oh. Oh, it's Ikitosen this week. Yeah. That's right. Ikitosen. Forgot to update that, sorry. Ikitosen this week. It was Hakafusen Saku's Unmistakable Panties. And we had correct trivia answers by Cool Manio, Nelly1876, Astrophysics, Icy Rose, Leave It to Me, Reiji, Crutch910, Box9, uh, Bobo Bo, Bobo Bo, Bobo Bo, Bots Go, Friend, Zen1, The Count, Is No Try, Akai Tenchi, and Perplexed Panda. So, thank you all for you answering. You perverts. Clearly, clearly, clearly perverts. And or as the, they'd say in Akunohana, hentai this. Hentai yaro. The correct answer for the week, the winner was the count. So, congratulations to you. I think you're also in the chat, so hello. Congratulations. Ah, ah, ah. Did, uh, did you guys see my figure today? I didn't see it. What I is didn't it? see it. Oh, what is it? this... Spawn of hell. <laughs> what? No, it's cute, right? This spawn. This this one right here. It's she is almost out of the frame of the the chat thing. Good live stream. Keep her but out of the frame. This is this is Konata from Lucky Star. Ah, it burns she, my eyes. She has the hat on. Oh my god. The Pope really? hat. The power of Christ compel you. No. The power of Christ compel you. I'm an atheist, so you don't scare me. <laughs> 
Uh, but this is uh, this is Konata from Lucky Star, and she's actually she's in a, a Taito Game Station uniform, complete with like a little uh, pouch that's got I don't know stuff in it. But yeah, very cute. And of course, I got it at the Taito Game Station in Akihabara. The power of sausage compel ye. Get over it, dude. Lucky Star's cute, and there's nothing you can do about it. Chiaki has a new figure, and Chiaki found this figure in Akiba, and it's a very very tiny figure. But maybe someone listening or watching will know what this figure is from. Here's a hint. You have to view it like this. And I went squee, and, and then I this, got it. she means making the character lay down on her back. Yes. You know, for the people that are listening on the radio. Well, if they're listening, they're not going to see it and, and get to guess anyway, so. Oh. Well, no one's going to guess that. So why don't you just tell us what it is? No. Okay. It's gonna gonna be a, can I give them a musical hint? A musical hand. <laughs> God in heaven, what was that? Okay. It, was that accurate? It was. Here's, it was. here's the here's the hint. It's not from an anime. Uh, that wasn't from the anyway. Uh, here's a hint. The only the only other character except for your main guy is a horse. There's your <laughs> there's your hint. The horse. You ride the uh, horse a lot. I cried. I cried a little. Oh my god! You have a sword and a bow. You eat lizards and fruit. Okay, so let's so let's move on to the mailbag and Almighty Anime mailbag, which can be submitted via the top page of the website under the tab mailbag. We make it really difficult to find how to get to us. <laughs> So, the Yotaru Vegeta writes, Do you know the whereabouts of rocker David Lee Roth? I heard him in an interview, and Japan is basically his second home now. He takes language classes, and is he's also taking swordplay classes in Japan. Actually, that, that's we, go, hilarious. <laughs> we go drinking with him on some nights. Yes, actually, I saw Izakaya like two weeks ago. So, he, he told us that we needed to keep it on the DL. Um, so... Yeah. So we're talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's how we keep it on the DL. Well, we'll, you know, keep his whereabouts on the DL. I don't think he said anything about saying that we, you know, go out drinking with him. He's definitely not in Yokohama. Wink. Wink. I, I really don't know where he is. No, no, no. We, we really have no idea. Um, I kind of pulled a, a Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal kind of did that several years ago. I don't know where Steven Seagal is now, though. I know that for many years he was in Japan. He opened up, like a dojo or a series of dojos and started teaching martial arts over here. Why not? If I had the money to, why not? So, Who would like to read the second mailbag question? I'll read it. Okay. So this one comes from Miss Raspberry Heaven uh, and Miss Raspberry Heaven writes, I am wondering about the manga Kahiro Mashima. As, has he worked for anyone before he serialized? His art looks very sim similar to One Piece. Wondering if uh, he, if assisted Eiichiro Oda before. Um, do you guys know the answer to this? Hiro Mashima is a Japanese manga artist. His first success was the fantasy manga Rave, published by Kodansha's Weekly Shonen Magazine from 1999 to 2005. The series was later adapted into an anime. He, in, in, in 2006, he began his best-known and currently ongoing series, another fantasy manga called Fairy Tale, serialized in Kodansha's Weekly Shonen Magazine, which uh, has been made into an anime since 2009. He's uh, actually kind of been the target of some uh, criticism for 
seeming to rip off the style of Eichiro Oda. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think he ever worked under him, though. No, I I can't find any any credits where he was a staff member for something that um, that Oda worked in. Yeah. I here's here's the way I see it as someone who considers themselves an artist is that artists will go through evolutionary phases, and something will just stick with you and you copy it from someone else and over time it evolves to become your own and it evolves to be different from someone else's but there's a time when you're influenced strongly by some other form of artwork whatever that may be and so I wouldn't be surprised if you know One Piece is is the most giant manga series in Japan. It's the manga series and I wouldn't be surprised if because of that he's been influenced for it for a long time and wants to even subconsciously replicate it. So that's that's my philosophy on it. So yeah, I mean, so what's, there, there might be a pretty fine line between like rip off and loving homage so yeah so, so the question was if he had done any, anything before he was serialized and i think by that they were referring to fairy tale maybe oh i don't know but basically he's 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 known for rave and fairy tale so that Did he work for anyone I, I i really don't know the answer to that i but i know i i'm pretty sure he didn't work under oda the other so. the other thing though is that a lot of these artists will get their start by being nameless faceless like in between cell animators or background colors or whatever the case may be. And they could work very closely with people that... Oh, oh and we're having an earthquake right now. That's fun. Oh, just a wee baby. Up, oh, nope, um, still going. And, uh... Shaky, shaky. Shaky, shaky, figure shaky. Um, so... And the chat, the chat has, by the shaking camera, I think, recognized that there is an earthquake happening. Interesting. <laughs> Well, that's what you get for being in Japan. The only anime addicts in, the only pod, anime podcast on the internet that can deliver you a live earthquake from Japan. At the epicenter, it was a 3.5 magnitude, and the maximum intensity where we are was a 2. Where was oh, the mag- where was the baby. epicenter? The epicenter was off the east coast of Chiba Prefecture. Okay, so like south and east. Anyways, y- come yeah. at come at me other other anime podcasts. We have earthquakes. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Uh his credits that I can find are Rave Master, which he did original uh story and art, Monster Soul, story and art, Monster Hunter Orage, story and art, and Fairy Tale, original creator story and art. Oh, well there it is. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for your hard research driven efforts, Chiaki. Thank you. Also, can we thank Wikipedia? Yes, thank you, thank you, Wikipedia. So, we have an interesting episode for you today. We are going to be talking about historical anime benchmarks. So, it's somewhat of a, of a historical episode where we talk about benchmark years where things happen for the first time in anime. Then we're going to take another anime news break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to cover two anime from the spring 2013 season, including Suisei no Gargantia, and also the anime known as, if I can find it here, Chihayafuru 2. So we'll be back in just a minute, so don't go anywhere.
space pirates out there, this is Chiaki and this is your anime news break. First up, Makoto Shinkai's latest film, The Garden of Words, which we recently reviewed, or Kotoha no Niwa, has sold over 100,000 tickets in 23 theaters as of June 27th here in Japan. It was originally planned for a three-week theatrical run, but not only is it extending its run, but it's adding 16 theaters in mid-July. The film has maintained its top spot among films in mini theaters for three straight weeks. In 10 days, it matched the number of tickets that 5 centimeters per second sold during its entire run. In 14 days, it matched the number of tickets of Shinkai's last work, Children Who Chase Lost Voices. As a result, it's now Shinkai's top grossing film. Congratulations, Makoto Shinkai. In other news, a Final Fantasy X-10-2 will add a new half-hour drama during credits. It was announced in this year's 32nd issue of Sheisha's Weekly Shonen Jump that an original scenario writer, Katsushige Nojima, is writing a brand new story episode that will play during the Final Fantasy X-10-2 HD Remaster's special staff credit roll. The drama will be about 30 minutes long with newly recorded voices. A high-definition remaster of the original 10 and 10-2 role-playing games will arrive on PlayStation 3, Vita, in Japan, Europe, and the United States this year. In other news, also announced by the 32nd issue of Sheisha's Weekly Shonen Jump, that an adaptation of Naoshi Komi's romantic comedy manga, Nisei Koi, will be directed by Ayuki Shimbo of Bakemonogatari and the other Monogatari anime, as well as the animation studio Shaft. Shonen Jump's English website describes the story as As a child, Raku Ichigo made a secret promise with his childhood sweetheart, keeping a pendant as a memento while his love took the key. His dreams of one day meeting his past love, but years later, reality smashes his hope when Chitoge Kirisaki accidentally knees him in the face. And finally, there's been a bunch of Sailor Moon news regarding Will it come out? Will it not come out? What will it be like? What will it look like? And while the new Sailor Moon revamp animation series has a lot of discussion surrounding it, there is a new Sailor Moon stage musical that is also capitalizing on the hype. If this is some sounds like something you're interested in, they've recently posted the new cast photographed in costume online. Now what you should know about this cast is that the entire cast is female. Much like the famous Takarazuka Theater, all the roles will be played by female actresses rather than male actors cast in male roles. As a result, a former Takarazuka actress has made the bill. The photos online look very exciting, and we'll see how it is when it comes out. This was Chiaki, and this was your Anime News Break. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. It's about music and video games and other stuff. Are you sure that was the moon and not just Australia painted gray? Uh, <laughs> you know what? If you knock me out, paint Australia gray, and then tell me it's the moon, I'll get over it. <laughs> you know, throwing flaming 2 by 4s into the audience is something you don't do if you're just like listening to NPR and sipping on decaf. But if you did, that would make NPR so much more rad. <laughs> she says, oh, I pretty much like everything except rap and country. Then she says, have you heard of Nickelback? Which <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no! <laughs>
For all this and more, check out ozoneent.com slash zonecast or find the Echo Chamber podcast on iTunes. To the 184th episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, we missed you guys. So, but we're back, so we're happy now. Yay! We have an interesting topic for you today. We're going to be talking about historical anime benchmarks, which, amongst other things, are essentially the first of anime, first anime in America, first Mecca, first Magical Girl, etc., etc. And so you get to have a a little bit of history, and most of these shows are so old that none of us have seen them. <laughs> and they're probably awful. Like, Yeah, probably. I'm not saying old stuff is awful, but a lot of these are probably awful because it was yeah. in infantile stages of experimenting with things. And let's face it, a lot of things when they're in their infantile stages are infantile. awful. But the first one, logically, is the first anime. And, of course, this really is up for debate of what do you consider anime? What do, you, do you consider anime to be the first the first anime that looks like modern anime? Is, is that what you consider to be the first? Or do you consider to be the first anime, the first animation produced from Japan? And I kind of considered it the latter because anime is animation from Japan, by definition. Um, I think it has evolved to become defined by a style of animation, but I think the fact that it comes from Japan still still remains a key point because there there's a lot of things like, for example, the debate over Avatar The Last Airbender. Is, is it anime because it looks like an anime, or... Not because it was made in America. And then you, there's the issue of copros and stuff like that, like yeah. you know the the Vampire Hunter D sequel and and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I mean that's I think it's hard it's hard for me to say anyway. So, the one that the one that we have decided upon for the sake of this topic is a 50 frame three second clip called Katsudo Shashin, and. We're going to put this whole list of things in our in the post on our website because I, I, I just posted a link to the video into the chat so people could watch it. Right. And and if you're listening on your phone and you want to check out a site, we have links to a lot of videos. But in the video, a boy writes the kanji for moving pictures. And the exact date or creator isn't known, but it's thought to be from nineteen oh seven. So that would be the, if it is, that would be the earliest example of animation coming from Japan. It's really, really old. It looks really, really old. What's interesting, though, is that it is in color. Yeah, it, it is. I, I would assume that to be some kind of... They use their koopy <laughs> and colored it. <laughs> I, I, think a, I think a lot of it could be hand-done on the film probably after yeah. the fact like painted onto the film strip or it's 
something that existed and almost like a flip animation. My my impression is that there's not much known about this anime. Um but it it comes from Japan and it's really old. So I think that's a safe one to say. As for films, um a short film named the An Obtuse Sword in English from 1917 is two minutes long and it's believed to be the first anime film. I want to watch it. Two minute long film. Sounds great. I probably can't find it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a clip that was part of a TV show <clears throat> and the the translation of the of the banner at the top of the TV show clip says that it is considered to be the very the very oldest anime. So, Namakura Gatana is a short Japanese anime produced by Junichi Kochi in 1917. Dang, yes. that's old. It was found in an antique shop in Osaka in central Japan in March 2008. The anime is a two-minute-long, silent short film that tells the history of a samurai's foolish purchase of a doll-edged sword. <laughs> so, so fitting for the time, I guess. As Japan's kind of segueing out of the, you know, the sword era. Yeah, it it's an interesting thing to to come across, and I think it's interesting that it was found in a shop because there's always that possibility that there's something in some really old Japanese house or mm -hmm. grandma's box of things that the, the family hasn't the shed gone somewhere up out, in the attic up know. in the attic that the family hasn't gone through that could even predate this but 1917 is pretty pretty young so basically the first anime I think it would be safe to say would be sometime between 1907 to 1917 if if you consider the 52nd clip and it's really from 1907, an anime, then that would be the first. But if not, we know this one exists, and it would be 1917. So anime has been around a long time. I don't know if you know that. I really want to watch this little two-minute clip, but I, don't have no, I have no idea where to find it. So I might be out of luck. It might be on YouTube, though. Who knows? Everything eventually finds its way to YouTube, I think. But in today's day and age, yes. But what else is on the uh, the list here of historical starts? Well, uh, we have the first color anime feature film, uh, which is The Tale of the White Serpent, or Hakujaden, released in 1958. So, hey, it looks pretty nice. Yeah, it does. Um, it looks like Fantasia. It's got lots of little like random animals jumping around. Mm -hmm. But it does nice look attention good. to detail. It does look great, well, though. It does look really good. I might have to sit down and and watch that on some lazy Sunday. It looks but, really uh, goofy, though. It's I, it's seventy eight yeah. minutes in total runtime, okay. so it's it's actually a it it's a full feature film. Mm -hmm. I know I know two minutes is considered to be a short film, and and I don't want to piss off any film people by saying it's not a real film or anything, but it I would say eighty minutes. We're getting to the point where the average person is going to say this is a real film this mm. this is a feature film that i would consider to be a film oh there's there's actually a, a technical like time limit for feature or short and i think mm. it's like 65 minutes 
So if it's over 65, I think it's 65 minutes. If it's over 65 minutes, it's technically a feature. You are so well-informed, sir. I studied it, is it that, <laughs> in college. <laughs> is, it that, is it that freshly shaved bald head of yours? That's what it is. Just, it <laughs> makes my brain work better. It makes all the juices flow uh, in all to in all the right places. Are you, are you, I like juices. Are you like Birdman? What? You, you, your head can more efficiently collect, can, can collect the rays of the sun. Yes, that's what it is. Because your head is fresh, freshly shaved. Whatever you say. The shinier the sheen, <laughs> the stronger the brain power. I can blind people with my baldness. You're like Krillin. On a, on a really sunny day, I can just like do it just the right way. Solar flare. Solar flare. Off that, my bald head. That's the only thing Krillin ever did in Dragon Ball Z. Solar yeah. flare and Destructo Disc. And and that, it, it wasn't magic. It was just the sun reflecting off his... His greasy-ass head. Does the Destructo Disc ever hit anything? <laughs> I don't think so. Ever? It hits... It hit... Didn't it hit Frieza and... Oh, cut, it hit Frieza's tail. Hit Frieza's tail. It cut somebody in half. Once. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it like a... Wasn't it one of the Ginyu Force or... No. Uh, it, I, re, I, I no, remember it cut somebody not. in half. Definitely not Not Ginyu Force. Uh, I can't remember. He cuts, he misses and cuts a lot of like rocks and trees in half. Does that count? Oh, he's that's all, he's always cutting rocks and trees in half. In any case, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> the next one in our our chronological order of first is the first animated era in America. Um, the first one is actually not the one that everyone thinks. Oh, can I guess? Sure. Akira. I believe that was the first movie to air in American theaters. Darn it. So it was still a first, but it wasn't the first anime. The first one is was actually a three-part anthology. Um, it was broadcast in Japan in 1960, and then it actually aired in America in 1961, and it's called Three Tales, or Mitsu no Hanashi. And... Three Tales is a black and white anime, and it was the first domestic anime ever televised. Um, it was just short fairy tales. The first part, titled The Third Plate, is technically the first anime segment ever televised. Um, in total, all three parts add up to 30 minutes, so it was the length of one episode. So I guess you could call it maybe more of an OAV. I was about to say that. The first OAV. Um, wow. uh, so natsukashi. So natsukashi. Um, but at the time that it was released, the NHK, which if you don't know about NHK and you're an anime fan, you really need to research that because it's kind of a big deal here. But it's it's basically public broadcast to make a long story short, but the NHK was only broadcasting to 866 TV sets as of 1953, Whoa. which was seven years before this anime came out, but you can't imagine that number went up too, too much in seven years. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So um, we don't know exactly how much the NHK's infrastructure and exposure went up in that seven years, but... That was still at the time where having a TV was like, you know, crazy. So it it probably didn't reach too many people, but it did reach America and had a short broadcast on American television. And so it was technically the first anime to air in America, but the first series anime 
the first anime to come to America and be anime. No surprise. No surprise. No surprise. Here. Is Astro Boy. Yep. I'm which... surprised. <laughs> what? Are you just being a contrarian? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're mad. Uh, are you mad? You mad because I'm taking your job from you? Well, there's only room in this town for one hater. What? I don't know how to say that. What? what, what and that. And his name's David. Uh, oh, that made me sad because he's not Solid Snake anymore. Now you're just another dude. <laughs> you're nobody now. You you're just a screenwriter who's but, written some really successful movies. You're nothing. But uh, Astro Boy aired. So so Three Tailed aired in America in 1961, and Astro Boy aired in 1963. So basically, the way you could look at it, depending on your opinion, is the first anime aired in America between 1961 and 1963, and that's that's when we got it. That's when we got anime. Have you guys ever actually watched Astro Boy? Like a, like a significant chunk of it without being like oh this is some clip I've seen clips I watched like six minutes once and said wow this is bad <laughs> and I stopped watching it I watched the first four or five episodes yeah, I think that's what I did I, I, I think I watched like 12 maybe 12 episodes yeah. or something I mean I'm not gonna watch the whole thing because that thing is long it is dated so dated so dated oh yeah but I mean it's charming It's it's got it's charms I did not see the American remake of the the movie the cg movie i don't think you guys did either i I think we should probably review that for the podcast we should review something astro boy we really should i mean even if it's if it's the series remake or the movie remake or the movie's really bad there are fart jokes in the trailer and i was like nope no thank you (laughs) oh my why don't you just shit on tezuka's grave (laughs) but uh okay so the next one we put in was one for our friends over at Gundam, which I hope that they don't tell us that is completely wrong. I miss you, Soul Bro. Miss you, Soul Bro. Want to have a they barbecue? Would, they would know better than we would. They so. would. They would. And Let's and see. if if our if our Gundam also listeners know that we have our facts completely wrong, actually, I trust that all of our listeners will call us out because I know y'all do already. But it w- is the I want to have a barbecue with Soul Bro and play fighting games i want to have an aaa convention oh that would be what does that mean is that where people come and say i have a problem (laughs) i'm i'm addicted to anime i I would love to have like a one day small book a small convention room somewhere and be like aaa convention come hang out with us and have like a huge barbecue that weekend Uh, we do all the programming in the one viewing room and yeah it's not happening it sounds mendoxe. Well, who's a hater now? Well, if, you know what? We can have we're this gonna, event if you, you, know, if we're you gonna feel have like a poll. spending... We're going to put a poll on the website at some point. It says, who's a bigger hater? Mitsuki or Cram. Oh, oh I'm doing that right now. Yep. And Chiaki's off. So, again, this is up for debate on how you define Mecha, but the first large robot series was, was Mitsuteru Yokoyama's Tetsujin 28 Go, which had an original manga release in 1956, but was animated in 1963. However, Gigantor, or as the robot is called in America, was is slightly different than the than the cockpit style Gundam and you know other mechs that we know, where someone gets inside the the mech and pilots it, because 
Gigantor or Tetrigen 28 was controlled by a remote, con- like a remote control, like a like a remote control car, and not a cot and not a cockpit pilot, which some people will define as not true mecha. So it's kind of weird. Like if you were trying to fight something using this using Gigantor and you had a remote, don't you think that you'd be really bad because your perspective would be kind of screwed up? You know, it's it's like way off in the distance, like like. 500 meters away from isn't you. That, isn't that what we, they do now with drones? Like drone planes? These are not the drones you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but when you speak of drone planes, it's this is pr- that's pretty high-tech stuff. I'm talking well, about I'm talking and a about a giant like humanoid <laughs> robot is not. <laughs> Have you seen the controller? Yeah, it probably looks like an RC controller. It looks yes. like an RC I, controller yes, from, like the, from like the I, 80s. I think that it's it it's actually sounds safer and smarter to do yeah. it that way. Than to get inside a huge piece of metal and crash into other huge pieces of metal with ostensibly other people inside Sh- them. Shinji would agree with you. I don't want to pilot the mech. Don't hate Shinji. Don't Why hate not? Shinji. He's a piece of shit. Oh he is God. a piece You're of shit. You're just trying to win this poll that's about to be posted on the website in like five seconds. I am going to win the poll because I am the original hater as, that's someone, fine. as someone in the chat, as you Astrophysics can, says. You can win. I'm not a hater. I, ha- I have valid criticisms. I, you, I, you are a hater. I even put myself on there just to be fair. Okay. All right. That's good. So, okay. so yes, there is a poll now on the website for funsies. Go do it for funsies. However, the first super robot show that was def- that defined most of the, of the mecha genre that we know today, whereby I mean that a guy gets inside the mecha and pilots it and, you know... You know, all the good stuff for lot, Super Robot. Complains about it. I don't, I don't know. Want, I don't want to write a mech. if he complains about it. I'm a cook. I'm not a... How many anime are there where the guy doesn't want to pilot the mech? I can name like seven right now. If anyway. someone knocked on your door, would you want to pilot the mech, Cram? Uh, yes, but not to fight. I would just get in it to try it out and be like, oh my god, this is so much fun. Oh, okay, I'm done. I don't want to die. So, yeah. Anyway, the first mech, the first the first giant robot, super robot show that is similar to what we know today is Mazinger Z, an anime which started in 1972, according to sources. Yeah. I bet it's awful. And and again, this, this first mecha anime, it goes back to what do you define as mecha? Do, do you define it as the first humanoid giant robot, or do you define it by standards that we know today to be mecha? So, but they, these were both important firsts in the mecha genre, I think, no matter how you define it. So, then we have the first televised anime series. This one is, is one that is also kind of up for debate, debatable, but... Otogi Manga Karenda. So what is that all about? This is one that I found that according according to sources was one of the first anime series. Uh it started production in 1961 and ran until 1964. And it's a How many episodes are there, do you know? I I'll look that up for you. Also, also the, the, the do you do you, do you not know? I don't. Uh, also, the chat is saying that that the poll on the website is a fraud. Oh, oh, you did include yourself. Yeah, I said Wh- I did. What about Kimiko and Roko? Well, I was just doing it off of. 
off of regular. What, what, they don't matter anymore. No, th- they just don't come on the show enough to hate on y- things right you now. You know what? You know what? By leaving them out, you have become the true hater. Oh snap! I think she's just won the poll, guys. We have we have our winner. There's a deep philosophical question here. You guys love me. Slow clap. <laughs> uh, manga calendar was 54 episodes with a half hour per episode. Man, that's that's a pretty long running series for. Oh, I'm already winning. 54 episodes. I'm already winning wow. the poll. I, I currently have 67% of the votes. Anyway, yeah, I think 50, 54 episodes is, is pretty significant for a first series ever. Like, you'd kind of expect it to be, like, you know, 10 episodes or something. Like, yeah. ah, we tried. Yeah, it's cool. But, um, yeah, that's, that's cool. The chat says, Roko is just drunk. That doesn't count as a hater. <laughs> he doesn't yes, know what might he's be, saying. That might be true. He just spouts garbled gibberish. This, the next one on the list, I really want to actually watch. No, you don't. Yes, I do. It no, looks really cute. No, you don't, because it looks horrible. <laughs> so this is the first magical girl anime. Aww. And it's called uh, Mahotsukai Sally, or Sally the Witch, written by Mitsuteru Yokoyama. And it first debuted as a manga in 1966 and then was uh, also animated animated in 1966. Um, and the, there's only... I don't have any clips or anything, but the screen cap on the Wikipedia article it looks really cute. <laughs> it kind of looks like... kind of looks like Astro Boy, like the, the character design. Yeah. Yeah, it looks cute if you're a pedo. You know what? Oh. Some we people have another poll on the on the on the top page of the website. Oh my god! Who's the bigger pedo? I'll just make a page and call it "Random Polls from the Hosts." Give us your thoughts. Uh, some people even are, say that this, on a on a broader level, was the first shoujo anime. So that this anime was the the first of the shoujo genre. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I'd, I mean, I I wonder if there's any way that you can find a show like this anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would I wonder say if it's going to get a Blu-ray release. <laughs> in the depths of Akiba, yeah, anything yeah. can be found. Just walk around and be like, Mahotsukai Sally, Mahotsukai Sally. Someone will be like, oh, it's in that basement shop over there. Yeah. You walk down there and you're like, oh, it smells like piss and shame. <laughs> the only the only thing I've had trouble finding in Akiba was the last time I went, I really wanted an Utena figure. And every figure shop I w- went to was like, ah, choto, furui, deskido. So ha- have we read the story at all? Because there's, there's actually a plot summary for this. No, go for it. And, and just as a note... This anime had 109 episodes. Whoa. 109. And then there was Sally the Witch 2, which had 88 episodes. And then there was a film. So Did that mean but they it only ran from 1966 to 1968 and it has 109 episodes? Yeah. That means that they didn't like take any season breaks or anything like that. It was just an episode a week every week, probably like just about. And animators never saw anything <laughs> other than slept, Sally. And you said there was a sequel too. Yeah, the sequel was 88 episodes that ran from 1989. Jesus. Wow, it almost started on my birthday. So Sally is, a, cool. Sally is the princess of the witch world, Astoria, who longs to visit the mortal realm, presumably to make friends her own age. One day, Sally teleports to the mid-world, Earth, 
where she uses her magic to fend off a couple of burglars menacing two young schoolgirls. Immediately befriended by her new acquaintances, tomboyish Yoshiko Hanamura and girly Sumire Kasugano, Sally decides to stay indefinitely, leading to various kinds of shoujo mischief in the best Japanese tradition. As with Samantha Stevens in, Be in Bewitched, Sally tries to keep her supernatural abilities secret, assuming the role of a human child. I think somewhere on here they actually say that, that, that this anime actually had some... Uh, that according to Yokoyama, who is the writer, um, a lot of this was actually inspired by the American sitcom Bewitched, which in Japan is known as Okusama wa Majo, or the, or the missus uh, is a witch. She just wants to make friends. She's not wearing hot pants. Well, this was a little early for that, don't you think? Although, if you look at the picture... Do, do we have a first hot pants? If you, uh. if you look at the clip, if you look at the picture on Wikipedia, it looks like the dude is literally straight up like staring at her crotch in the picture. You should check that out. That's a that's a girl. I think that's a girl. That's the tomboy. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a little like braid coming out the back of its head. Yeah, I see. That's, and it's not nearly as cute as the other girls. It's a trap. <laughs> it's the first trap. The first trap. But anyways, this. Uh, this anime started in 1966, and it had a one-volume manga <laughs> that also started in 1966. 109 episodes in one volume of manga. All right. Talk about filler. Mitsugi, you can uh, do this next one. I'm going to let this be all you. You can channel Roko for this one, too. Uh, channeling Roko is, is not possible, I'm afraid. <laughs> but in 1969... There was an anime... <laughs> <laughs> 69! 69, dudes! There was an anime feature film directed by Eiichi Yamamoto, conceived by, um... Conceived by Osamu Tezuka. <laughs> this film is part of the Mushi Productions a a Anime-rama, a series of films aimed at adult audiences. The film had a very limited... Actually, I guess I should say what the film is first. The film is 1001 Arabian Nights, which is a 1969 anime feature film that was given an X rating. X rating, that means sex. So, the first hentai anime. Aladdin, a simple traveling water seller, falls in love with Miriam, a beautiful slave on auction. Um, Havasklam, spoiled, sp the spoiled son of a chief of police, buys her. Before he can take her home, a sandstorm interrupts the act the auction. Aladdin uses the opportunity to steal away the slave woman, rescuing her from slavery. They hide from pursuing guards in a seemingly empty mansion. They make there they make love and are secretly watched by the master of the mansion. <laughs> Damn. Um, they get the master of the mansion traps them and commands them to continue. Uh, on and on and on. So it's a naughty Aladdin anime where Aladdin gets laid. That's and and you know this is another one that like I'm not sure how it's classified because in the sense of was it made to be porn or was it just made like like Game of Thrones, you know, where there just happens yeah. to be a bunch of sex in it. And and I'm not I'm not arguing that it doesn't have significance being like the first X-rated cartoon and the first anime to have sex in it, you know, and, and explicit sex. But I I wonder 
again, if this counts as the first hentai or not, because it wasn't, it wasn't made for the fat bank. How or, do you know that? I don't. So is this a, is this a prequel to Magi? <laughs> no, probably I not. I wish. So the film was given. Yeah, Magi does have some some pretty hot girl characters in it. Uh, the film was given limited screenings in America, and did very poorly. Because it was X-rated, and I guess that you know, way back in the day, yeah. The dub, uh, the dub version of the film is not very rare, and um, is is considered lost by some people. But the film even predates the more successful release of Fritz the Cat, Mm. the first American X-rated animated film, which came out a year later. Fritz the Cat. I have seen it. I haven't. I rented it on Netflix because I wanted to see what, what it was all about, and it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's pretty. It's pretty funny. If those of you that don't know, Fritz the Cat is is, a, is an animated cartoon about a cat mm. who bangs other cats. Yeah, based on a comic strip by R. Crumb, very, very seminal, dirty comic <laughs> but this, cartoonist. <laughs> but this first hentai is called One Thousand and One Arabian Nights, so you can go check that out. Or Senya Ichiya Monogatari. So. So we're starting to get a little a little up there in the time frame. Really? We're still in the 60s. Well, almost 70s, 69. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from 19... What was the first anime ever? Uh, 1907, 1917. Oh, we have moved some, some ways. So now we're at 1983. Oh, snap. And we have a magnificent clip that I recommend anyone still watching with us needs to watch this clip because it, it'll again it'll be posted with the episode posting on our main site so just click on that but it is the first use of CGI in anime and it was in Golgo 13 circa 1983 it looks terrible oh <laughs> oh god so the actual animated <laughs> stuff looks good but then the CGI stuff looks like it just looks oh, horrible. It, it looks like will. something out of a VR mission in Metal Gear. Oh my! Gogo looks badass as ever. I mean, this but. is one of my pet peeves in in anime, and that just like it. It's so bad I can't even be angry. It's just <laughs> like, oh, it's still going. They're just. It even looks worse than the original. They're not even CGI being conservative with it. It's like it looks like a PlayStation game. It's it's like the whole thing is CG. There's not even a little bit of any. It's it's fully. Animated uh, animated scenes and then fully CGI. Oh my goodness! They didn't even like go half and half. <sighs> Man, they're just it's stupid because they could have animated like the helicopters. points for going balls to the wall, right? Yeah. Like so oh since so, since you have since you have a big problem with with, with out of place CG, how do you feel about those three or four really obtuse CG shots in the in the Roni Kenshin OVA? There's one of the fireplace, and there's one of like the top spinning. Uh, I mean, they're a little distracting, but not enough to really get to me. The anime is still amazing. You yeah. know what I have to say about the Golgo Thirteen, and in kind of going off of what Cram just said, I give them props for doing it. Yeah. I mean, this is this is 1983. 1983, like. In 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 my research, I found someone mentioning that there was actually a fully um or there was actually some cgi stuff before this but it was kind of experimental and it was entirely in cgi type of thing and it was just kind of playing with it and this is the first time it was put in an anime and it was put in a really popular anime Mm -hmm. i mean this is like 
I this if if anime does something using real people, let's say superimposing real people, I know it sounds weird, but it would almost be like One Piece superimposes a real person <laughs> in the show. Yeah. That's almost like the equivalent of what it would be like now. So even though it's horribly awful to us, I do give them props for doing it then. And part of me also wonders, what did the viewers think of it then? Like, were the viewers like us, where they're like, oh, God. No, they're, they're, awesome. Or were the viewers like, like, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah. It's the future. It's the future. <laughs> we can make moving pictures with computers. <laughs> Speaking of Golgo 13, it's got to be one of the longest running manga yeah. When I when I when I go to the Seven Eleven and see it on the shelf, there's like Gogo Thirteen Volume One Hundred and Thirty Five. Yeah, it's it's stupid long. I mean, it's written unbelievable. So, I mean, it's it it's been serialized for over forty years. That's oh, nuts. Is that a record? I I don't know, but um, g- given that that it started being serialized in nineteen eighty six, I'm guessing that it could be the longest. But I'm I'm. I don't know exactly. It, it, it'd be interesting to find out, but the longest is certainly not One Piece, which everyone seems to think. So, <laughs> first entirely CG animated program. Again, this is one, I don't know if we consider it anime, but because there have been things that people consider anime sense done entirely with CG, like Arvikes and, um, not Arvikes, Vexile and... Vexile and Appleseed and Is, was, things like that. Was Karas or Karas fully CG? I don't think it was. I don't know. I don't think it was. But, but since there have been things that have been done fully CG since that people do consider part of the anime world and anime community, I thought it would be relevant, relevant to have the first entirely CG animated program from Japan. And this first entirely CG animated program was Bit the Cupid. <laughs> Bit the Cupid? God, what the so hell? Bad. And it was released in 1995. And it looks like... It looks like the really bad, like... Like, educational games I played when I was a kid. It does. The character designs remind me a lot of, like, Joe and Mac. Do you guys know that that game? Uh-uh. Joe and Mac and Joe and Mac 2. Uh, also kind of looks like uh, the character designs from Ghosts and Goblins and Maximo. That, whoever, whatever that guy's name is. So, Bit the Cupid started running in 1995. It ran until 1996, and it had 48 episodes. So it was it was a full series. It looked entirely really CG. It kind of reminds me of Tomba. You ever played Tomba on the PlayStation One? Uh no. Do you know of it? No. He's like he's like this jungle man that, that runs around and fights pigs. It's actually really good. Oh, maybe I, I don't know if it's the same character designer for Joe and Mac and and Ghosts and Goblins and all that stuff, but it looks similar. Anyway, and so Tomba. yeah, so we have one more on here, right? One more. We're getting up there. The last one was in 1995, and now we're in 2000. And in 2000, at least from from my research, again, all of this has the asterisks of from our research. We don't claim to be the end all be all know all. But it is the first anime done entirely with computers. So Blood the Last Vampire in 2000 was the first anime to say bye-bye to animation cells. Ain't no lie. Baby, bye-bye-bye. There were, to be clear, anime previously who had long since incorporated computer editing and animation to the traditional process. But it was in addition to 
it wasn't instead of. But this was the first anime to do away with traditional animation techniques of painting cells and painting backgrounds and and doing everything by hand in the physical sense. I'm not saying it wasn't done by hand on a computer, but using traditional physical methods. And this was the first anime to go entirely digital in all of its production. And I would say that would be maybe the most recent major benchmark because we're in we're in we're in the ballpark of the past decade at this point and then since then we've had lots of stuff like you know even makoto shinkai's first film yeah uh, voices from a distant star and and all that stuff but yeah since then and you know what i think uh, i can probably safely say that this is the best first on this list yes i i I really like blood the last vampire i watched it pretty recently and it it holds up what about gogo 13 hmm Hmm? It's hmm? Gogo 13 it's is same. good, but it's, yeah, it's good, but it's the same thing. Gogo 13 is a pimp, man. Again. He's a pimp. All right, he's a pimp. Gogo versus uh, Gogo versus uh, Lupin. Who wins? Who, who do I, you like better? Who I like better, or 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 if you put them on like a live rounds firing course? Like, uh, well, that's who Gogo, wins? Hands down, like I like Lupin better. I like Lupin better too. But yeah. I think if 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 they were in a city together and it was kill or be killed between them. Lupin would be dead pretty quick. Lupin would be dead pretty quick. Like The, the, the chat is asking Golgo versus Jojo. Oh, uh, that's tough. I, I don't think know. Jojo, clearly, he would probably just use his hummel. And the, the Jojo has, like, like, magic fan- powers. Yeah, Jojo's, like, like, fantasy. Golgo is, like, in the real world, he's he's checking, like, wind pressure and stuff like that to make the perfect shot. Yeah, it's... So I think we should round out this topic. I know we've talked about this before, so I don't think we should talk about it. We could just say it. Well, you could talk about it, Cram, because you haven't been the show on the show as long as we have. I think we should say our first anime. Oh, that's a good idea. My first one ever? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mine was Dragon Ball Z. I, 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 I can't really remember. I, it may have been Sailor Moon. Mine was Totoro. All right. So... We're going to take another news break, and we'll, and we'll be back in just a minute with reviews on Chihayafuru 2 and Suisei no Gargantia. So stay tuned, and we'll be back soon. you time travelers out there this is chiaki and this is your anime news break first up for those of you who are fans of steins gate jast usa a video game publisher in north america has made an announcement at the north american anime convention anime expo this past weekend that will probably excite you it is that they have licensed the visual novel video game pc signs gate for north america 5PB and Nitro Plus Steins Gate game is the second scientific adventure game from the two companies who also created Chaos Head and Robotics Notes. The artist Huke of Blackrock Shooter designed the characters. The game originally shipped for the Xbox 360 in October 2009 and a Windows port shipped in August 2010. The game has also been ported to the PSP, PS3, PS Vita, and iOS. But if you're a fan of the series who has an anime of the same name, 
you'll probably be excited to be getting a North American release of the visual novel. In other North American convention news, the incarnation of Japan Expo Convention, located in California, has recently announced that it will host character designer and manga creator Yoshiyuki Sadamoto as a guest of honor. If you're not like me and follow a lot of character designers and creators, Sadamoto designed characters in the original Neon Genesis Evangelion television anime. You might have heard of that one. As well as Hideaki Anno's and Kahada's ongoing film revamp of the story. He also completed the manga version of Neon Genesis Evangelion earlier this month, over 18 years after he started. He also designed Gainax characters in other Gainax projects such as Royal Space Force, The Wings of Honomise, Nadia, Fully Cooly, and Gunbuster 2, Die Buster. He collaborated with Mamoru Hosoda on the director's three most recent films, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Summer Wars, and last year's Wolf Children. So this guy has touched a lot of amazing stuff and it's very likely that you care about him. So if you can get to California's Japan Expo, it's recommended. And finally, for you Madoka fans, some exciting news regarding the third Madoka film. They, they have recently released the film's footage on Japanese TV, and of course, you can find it online. It aired on Fuji TV's morning program, Meizamashi Terebi, a special feature on Geikyo Ban Maho Shoujo Madoka Magika Stipen Hangyaku no Monogatari, which is the Madoka Magika, the new feature Rebellion, this past week. Speaking of the third Madoka film, it has also been announced, reported by the Oricon Style website, that the female duo Cladis and Japanese pop trio My Favorite Calafina will be singing theme songs for the new feature film. They've both performed theme songs for Puella Magi Madoka Magica before. This was Shiaki, and this was your anime news break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back to the show soon. アニメアディクトアノニモスはご覧のスポンサーの提供でお送りいたします。And we're back with episode 184 of the Anime Addict Anonymous podcast. It's time for reviews. We're going to start cutting our way through the spring 2013 reviews in an effort to get them done so we can focus entirely on the summer. Yay! The summer season actually just started, so for those of you that didn't know that, most of the animes now have one episode out, so you can start to check those out. And you can catch what we are following as of the last podcast episode. Contrary to our prior to our prior thought, Gifu Dodo crams lovely samurai anime is being su- is being fan subbed so god help me so at least you get to watch it without having to struggle through the through the samurai language in the, you know in the raws of course maybe it would yeah. be more fun with the raw cuz then you could make them say whatever you wanted in your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> they're so. not going to do jack shit in that anime it's going to suck <laughs> all right mate just kidding i watch it be amazing would you like to go first or would you like me to um well i guess i'll go first okay whatever it doesn't both, really matter. Both is acceptable with me. So I am doing a review on the anime Suisse no Gargantia. One out of five. Thanks for listening. One out of five. Goodbye. <laughs> Gargantia on the verdurious planet. Verdurous. What the hell does that even mean? It means lush and green and 
beautiful lush and green mostly that's odd because this anime has no land. It's what about like the voluptuous world. planet? The vo- <laughs> with big old planet titties. <laughs> that's very. That's a very strange title considering there's no land anywhere in the anime. There's no lushness. It's just ocean. Weird. That is weird. So I'm going to read a very detailed summary that I found of the first two episodes, and then I'm going to give him going to my thoughts. Do you have a source to credit if you're ripping something off? Yeah, Wikipedia. Okay. So. Humans have left Earth and have made a paradise in space. None of these, and nothing, and nothing with this plotline is really all that original. Humans have left Earth and have made a paradise in space, Avalon, as humanity's new home, and created the Galactic Alliance of Humanity to expand their journey through it. A threat known as the Hidayajur ha- appeared before the Alliance, and a war r- rages between them. Ensign Lado and his and his artificial intelligence robot partner Chamber join the latest attack against the Hidayajur. The attack ultimately ends in failure and a retreat order is issued. But Lado is unable to return to the mothership. He's just he just he's kinda too far he's too far into the battle to get back in time. So they have to leave without him, and in his effort to get back, he gets cast into a what is sort of like a wormhole. And six months later, the salvage ship Gargantia retrieves Chamber from the bottom of the ocean of Earth. Uh, unable to take it apart, everyone uh, after everyone leaves, Leto decides to take a look around and gather intelligence on where he is, but soon is chased and kidnapped and kidnaps one of the crew members, Amy. He's chased outside and finds out he is an, on, on, a habitable, on a habitable planet, which shocks him enough to release Amy. The crew pins him on a pylon, and he calls Chamber while the entire crew is surprised to see a moving, a moving or, a, the robot moving around. So... There's a battle in space. They have to retreat. He can't get back to the mothership. He gets sucked into a wormhole, ends up on Earth, and a salvage crew finds him on Earth, and he's very surprised by everything, and he panics, so he kidnaps one of the members of the crew, but ends up letting her go. One of my thoughts right off the bat here is, six months later, they find him on the bottom of the ocean, but you know, how is he eating and stuff? How are, how are bodily functions occurring? I don't really know. Maybe he's transcended the need for such things. Uh. So that was the first episode, and I'll just do the second episode also. In episode two, basically, he can't communicate with the people because he doesn't speak their language. And so he wants to talk to their leader, and Chamber, who's inside, who's the AI inside the robot, is translating for him. And so they think that there's two people. Um, eventually, Ridget, the commander, comes, and the crew try, try to decide what to do. Amy gives Leto food and begins talking. She explains that this is Earth, and when it was frozen over, some humans escaped to the stars while others stayed. Eventually, the ice melted and became a vast ocean, in which many people form fleets to salvage old technology from below. Looking for other items of advanced technology, Ridget sends Bellows, who is who's the leader of the, of the, of the excavation crew, to the point where uh, Chamber and Leto were found, and Bellows' ship is attacked by pirates. Amy asks Leto to help them, and he agrees with the intention of earning their trust. So then a battle ensues with the pirates, and he annihilates them in like five seconds. The anime had a great start. I think it pretty much did everything right at the, at the beginning. The pacing was really good. We had a nice space battle in the first episode, which lasted like 14 minutes or 15 minutes, which I was really pleased to see that there was actually a lot of mecha content in the show because I thought it was going to be an action show. Uh, so we had a nice space battle. The planet, the situation, and the characters on Earth are interesting. I really like the fact that he couldn't speak their language. It, 
it kind of it made me and, and a lot of other viewers that I talked to wonder how they were going to handle the language barrier as the show progressed. Up through the first three episodes, I thought it was probably the best show I was watching in the spring. But then we got into episodes four through six. Episode four was really boring and uneventful. It, it people people say, oh, it's about him finding himself and finding his place in this new society and establishing a difference in the way that they live between Leto and the people because Leto's like a war-driven person and the people on the planet are just like they're like harmless puppies that they want to do the opposite of fight you know but episode four wasn't really the main problem episode five is basically a beach episode that even has Leto quote-unquote being pursued by transvestite men that actually happens damn that happens like that that actually right there is like 20% 20% of the episode, so anybody who's, who tries to defend episode 5 can, you know, have a, have a feast with that little line right there. And episode 6 is a fan it's a fan service filled festival episode titled Festival. That's the name of the episode. So five, at least 5 and 6 were pretty much totally throwaway episodes that I just don't feel like you can really do that in a 13 episode show. You can't afford to throw episodes into the toilet. And also, I wanted to ask Cram about something that happens in episode 9. Because Cram's the, the the literary genius of, of the three of us. Sure. The only one of us that has a film degree. I sort of think this is bad, but maybe you can give your opinion. So in episode nine, Leto is in down down near the bottom of the ocean and he's at this basically a destroyed a destroyed building, a destroyed complex. And he finds a piece he finds a pile of media, like a data disc, and he lets the AI and the ship read the data disc. Okay? And what we see is basically like a trying to remember how many minutes it was but maybe it was about 12 minutes of 12 minute long video that explains everything that this show is about it explains the background of the planet it explains why everyone left it explains the 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 history of the bad guys it's the only plot twist that happens in the show and completely changes everything that happens in the show but they do it in this 10 minute clip and i call it an information dump Right. So um, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's exactly it, what it is. Like for me, like I would have to see it to see like the nature of of the clip, like the it's information. Piece, it's but pieced what, together news clippings from like from like TV. See, like to me, that doesn't feel like as bad as like a info dump in dialogue, which is much much more common in anime. the The info dump in dialogue is it's awful, like it's terrible, and it's rampant in 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 modern anime. Anyway, how is that any different than him just watching a clip though? Because in, in, in some still, way, I mean, as they're a, still telling you and not showing part you anything. Of, you know, anime being a visual medium, you know, a visual narrative medium, you know, something that the, the kind of the basic rule is show, don't tell. And it, f- it seems like from based on what you're saying, they're actually showing and not telling like in, in their own way. Yes, it is kind of an info dump, but it doesn't sound as bad as it could be. Maybe not. I mean, if it's information that has to get out there and they have to disseminate it in some way, it's better than them doing it in you know, a scene of dialogue where someone's like, as you know, and then they basically tell you all well, of the things that, you know, my, you need to know. My my personal opinion is that I would have preferred that they had take episode five and six and pull them out because they're, they're trash, okay? Mm-hmm. They're, it's, it's just garbage. Take them out, get rid of this info dump thing, right? And take five and six and put them at the beginning and show the planet's history before the space battle. As a pro, so you you want you prefer a prologue as opposed to a twist. Well, don't you think that's a better way to do it? Uh, 
not necessarily. I'd have to see the show. Well, I'm I think they sure. should take. I think there should have been rather than have the info dump. They should just. They should have had a two episode prologue that showed the history of the planet. I felt like the show really jerked around a lot in the first eight episodes, and then they just decided, oh well, there needs to be a, st- a storyline. I talked to a lot of people that were watching this show, and we really had no idea where it was going, and. I honestly thought that the show was really losing its direction after episode three. What would you say the theme of the show is? Is it is it about is it a character study? Is it about character development, or is it an action show? Like, the, is it... it's not an action show at all. I there's about there's a total of maybe twenty minutes of mecha fighting. So and is it is it about growing up? Is it one of those show, coming of age stories? This show is about differences in lifestyle. So I think it, I think there's a clear contrast between Leto and the people on the planet throughout the course of the show. Leto is from one is from one walk of life and one philosophy of life, and that is war and fighting and fighting to survive. And then you have the people on the planet that live by a, that live by a different and and this is I can't really answer. So it, answer sa- it sounds like it sounds like a character study. It sounds like it's it's about developing characters and, you know, getting inside characters' heads and I mean putting a character I mean in, in in its own way, it sounds like kind of a fish out of water story. Is that is that kind of what it is? I, like, I can't fully answer your question without spoiling everything, but I mean, but is it basically a fish out of water story? Is that is that how it works? Because I mean, those are the kind of stories that you get when you, you know, or someone I mean, like it, like like Little Mermaid. Someone joins a new world; they're not part of that world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I mean, basically, and, exactly. What I mean, it that is. that kind of story is very conducive to creating dynamic characters that are interesting and change in interesting well, ways. I mean, does the show successfully do that? Does the main character or you know the main characters. I mean, I, again, I haven't seen the show. The only character in the show that really has significant development, I would say, is Lado. But that happens all starting at episode nine. There's no development before episode nine. Then he gets the info dump, and he realizes what what his life has really been about. And then he starts to change. Okay, so the so the the info dump is an ex- is an inciting incident that you know enacts the beginning of his becoming a dynamic character. By the I, end of the if series, you can really call him dynamic. Does he change? Yeah, he does. Okay, I mean that's not bad. Does it's he change he... in a believable way? Um. Well, I I sort of I sort of don't know because do you do you believe that someone who's who's conditioned to think and think and live a certain way from the from the from the very day that they're born can suddenly just magically completely change the way that they think all because they watch one little videotape? No, I mean not not necessarily. Again, I'd have to see it. It's a pretty big plot twist. So, but um. The other problem I had with the plot was I th- episodes one through nine felt like maybe ten chap- chapters of a manga. It moved real slow. Episodes, f- the last four episodes felt like they covered three times as much content as the last as the first nine episodes. So I really felt that the pacing was was unbalanced. Um, the only other things I have to say about the plot are that. I really wanted to see more of the of the war in space. Like I know that that wasn't really the focus of the show because the focus of the show is, oh, Leto's gonna come to the planet, change the way that he thinks, and learn to live with live with people. And so the focus isn't isn't the space battle, but that whole section of the story that was in the first episode is completely abandoned, and they don't ever go back to it. So it's completely unresolved. Um, as far as the characters go, I actually really like the characters in the series. Leto's the only character that really has a significant development. I mean. The other characters kind of learn what fighting's about because there's there is some fighting in the show, but Leto's the most important, obviously. Most people like Chamber, the AI that was in the suit, the best. He, I don't know, he he is a pretty he's like Gilliam from Outlaw Star. 
you know, everyone likes the AI in the Outlaw Starship. Mm. The other characters are pretty good. There's the there's Amy who is a little annoying, but she was this she's this cute little girl who adds some light romance elements to the show. And by the end, um, you know, there's something clearly there between her and Leto. And then there's then there's the 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 officer of the ship, Rigid Bellows, the really sexy looking excavation team leader, Pinion, who's the who's the head of the of the development of the repair team. Then there's some pirates and stuff. The animation was pretty good. I liked the way the anime looked. It had, I think, probably normal normal levels of animation quality, but the character designs really agreed with me in the way that they looked. Um, the show also had a lot of vibrant colors, and I really liked I really, I really like bright colors, so I like that. The opening and closing songs to the series were nice, and the music in the show wasn't really especially memorable, but I think it kind of supplemented the scenes without being out of place and obtuse. So... It wasn't too bad. Nothing, 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 nothing super special there. The pros and cons in the, at the end of the day are one. I the the first pro is that I think the show got off to an effective start. It was one of the best shows of the season after the first three episodes. I love the visual art and the and the style that the show had. I like I generally like the atmosphere of the world too. I I thought it was really interesting that they all live on ships and it seemed really unique compared to a lot of other anime. And uh, most of the characters are good. The problems with the show were the pacing, the wasted episodes, and I still, despite the fact that I do see, I do see how it creates some positives. I don't like the info dump that the show used to to deliver the entire story of this of the show. Generally, um, the background info on Leto and Amy left me wanting more. I really thought there could have been some more background story on Leto. I know he's like from space and whatever, but I mean. If he's going to develop as a person throughout the show, I, I wanted some backstory too. None of the other characters really get that much backstory either, except for Pinion, which is interesting because he's not a super main character. And I wanted some more information about the war in space. So overall, it wasn't it wasn't the worst show I've ever seen. It, it wasn't it wasn't super good. It definitely it definitely disappointed me after the first three episodes. It was, after the first three episodes, this was like a four or a four and a half for me. I really loved it. But it kind of just kind of slid downhill from there, and the end of the show was just a mess. Watching the watching the last four episodes of it, I actually had to rewatch part of the ending, and then I read a summary after that because I, I was sure I missed something super important. But then I realized that the end of the so, the end of the show just moved so quickly that, I, that they didn't really stop to let the view the viewer breathe and catch up and understand what was happening. So the ending I didn't think was real good. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm gonna give it. Mm, two and a half squid people out of five. So it's kind of average. Mm. Five out of ten. Five out of ten. It's an average. It was an average show. That's what I that's what I give something when I don't like it, but I don't dislike it. I didn't love the show. I don't I don't think I'd I don't know that I'd recommend it to too many people. It's definitely not a mecha show. Just despite, you know, that one of the main genres for the show is mecha. It's not a mecha show, I didn't think. It's more of an adventure adventure sci-fi. All right, so then my turn? Bring it on. All right. So I am reviewing Chihayafuru 2. Chihayafuru 2 is the second season directly following the first season, also named Chihayafuru. Chihaya. So... It directly follows the events of the first season, and we rejoin with the protagonist, Ayase Chihaya, and her budding karuta club in her high school. 
To keep the club going, she has to recruit a certain number of members at the beginning of the year. Pretty standard kind of, I guess you could say contrived kind of thing for an anime to start out. Oh, to keep our club, we have to get at least X members or else we're going to lose our club room and school funding and whatever. And then how Tutty Tutty started. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, you know, enough anime start that way that I would at least give it credit that that's actually what happens in schools. I, I know it happened to some degree at my college. But so she successfully recruits. She starts out by recruiting, recruiting a bunch of people um, because she's really pretty. And Tai Chi, who's also in the club, is really hot. And so a lot of people join because they think that the people in the club are hot and they're people that they want to be around. But, of course, as it gets going, Chihaya is really intense and members drop like flies when they have to practice and have to memorize the Hyakunin poems, the 100 poems. And But they, they manage to keep two core members, which ends up being enough in the end. And they kind of live, survive on a loophole that even though only two members stayed, they actually recruited over 20 members technically at the start. So that and their advisor is now on their side, which is something that happened in the first season that was really fun to watch. And so the advisor is now kind of trying to help them out and lets them keep their room. So they successfully recruit their members and she pushes them and makes it their collective dream through her to win the team Karuta tournament in Japan. And... While doing so, she continues to pursue her own dreams of becoming the Karuta Queen, which is the number one female Karuta player. Staff and production. I won't go into this too much, because being a sequel, all of the important staff members in production studio was kept consistent between the series. So if you've seen the first season, which this is a show that you have to watch the first season, you can't. Okay, you can jump in in second season, but nothing is going to matter nearly as much or make nearly as much sense. And the beginning of the original season of Chihai Afudu was one of the most perfect beginnings of anime I've ever watched. So I have to give it mad props for that. So watch the first season. However, one important change worth noting is that the series composition went from two people to a new completely different person. And the reason why I think this might be relevant is some of the pacing in this series seemed a bit off from the pacing in the previous season, and it could be due to the change in control there. The current series composition, which of course is the position in charge of adapting the original source material, which is a manga, and the manga has been running since 2007. It has 21 volumes, and it's still going. And... This current series composition was done by someone who's new to the industry. He only has one other credit to his name, and it's Supernatural the Anime. So it's not like we're coming from someone with a lot of experience. Worth noting is that while there are obvious cost-cutting measures on the animation, such as internal dialogue when they're zooming in on a character's face, long, tense pauses while listening for Kaduta cards and clips of ears, and they're generally not fast-paced action show the most the the reason why the animation those cost-cutting measures i feel are forgivable for something like chihayafaru is the most action we get is from them you know dashing for kaduta cards it's the kaduta slaps as they try to get the cards before someone else and it's not an action show so 
those cost-cutting measures are completely forgivable in how they happen because they don't look obnoxious. It's not like you're sitting there going, why aren't you animating this? Because it's not action. And while those cost-cutting measures exist there, the music is great. The music is fantastic. Oftentimes, it will feature full strings or full woodwinds or a great piano, uh, even an orchestra to create the perfect moment. And I love the OST for this show, and it's really, really great. And Mitsugi just played one of the songs from it, which it's just so moving. And the music can bring you to tears, which I think is great because it's a good scene that then the music pushes it over the edge. Uh, It's noticeable without being obtrusive, and it adds a lot. The only criticism that I can say for the music is that because you can tell a lot of time and money went into the individual songs, there isn't a huge variety. There's enough that there's enough that there's always something that's fitting, but there's definitely five or six themes that will get recycled more frequently than other songs. And you can tell that basically they, they put their money into making six, five, six, seven really good songs rather than having a bunch of mediocre songs to have a new song every, every moment. So, actual review. I love this anime. I love this anime so hard. And because I love this anime... Would to, you do me? I'd do it. I'd do me. Um... It's very, very difficult to do this objectively, to try to give it a fair score. I'm going to do my best, but it's really, really difficult because this is the anime that I watched every... I forced myself not to watch it every week to try to save up two or three episodes to power through it because... And you would squeal like while you watched it with glee. I would because it it, it does that. and And I think, though... Even though I have a love for it and, and I, I know that's going to affect my, my end end score, it says something good. I hope I hope it says something good if you value my opinion and my my taste about the show, even even through whatever flaws it may have. So I consume this show ravenously and I begged for more. The characters are heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. The show starts out and I was a little nervous that half the show would be spent on the new member for club recruitment as each new member that they got was seeming to get their own episode. But since they only really kept two recruited members to add to the club, it it worked out in my mind that they ended up getting a little more time. And, And even existing characters from the previous year got a little more time to develop right off at the beginning which I really really liked uh so and thankfully they the pacing I thought was good and I liked the time spent on the characters and it only lasts about the one for the first one fourth of the show and the show got back to kind of what we really cared about was um which is Karuta 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 it's definitely it's definitely a show about characters propelled through Kar- Karuta. Have you, have you ever explained what Karuta is? So, Like the rules or anything? So Karuta, and, and that's one thing that I will give this show credit for, it actually teaches you the game. Like if you watch the show, you will actually understand how to play Karuta, which is fun. I think 
Um, it's not like a sports show where they never talk about the rules of basketball or baseball or whatever it is they're playing. And I know most people know those rules. But, but Kareta is a game. It's based off of the 100 poems, as I mentioned before, which are famous poems in Japan. And each of these poems have a, have a card. And what ends up happening is you start out with 25 cards on each player's side. So there's 50 cards in total in play. And the players can organize the cards however they want. And then they have a memorization time. So they remember all the cards. They try to remember the positions of all the cards on their side and all the cards on the opponent's side. Then there's a reader. And the reader has a box. And from the box, the reader picks out a card. And the reader will read basically the reader's cards are the first half of the poem and the or is it the whole poem on both i think it might be matching either way the reader picks out a card and it's a poem that matches the poem that the karuta players have and the whole game is about trying to touch the card before your opponent can and ultimately you want to have no more cards on your side so if you take a card from an opponent's side you get to send them a card from your side so every time you take a card you decrease the number on your side if you touch a card that isn't the card that was read you commit a fault and your opponent can send a card to your side so it's that's the game of karuta and that's why i was saying it's not an action show it's not like it's a it's a sport show i guess in that there's is tournaments it, and practice and is it sport does, does it feel like sports it, it's from, from what i saw i'd say it does i'd say it feels like sports because they they have the team they have practice they have we got to stick together mentality they have you know the the overcoming things and and i think i think it feels like sports i consider it a sports show and you can at least call it a tournament show yeah definitely um but even though the show even though Karuta is what the show's about, the show is character-driven. The show isn't about Karuta. The show is about the characters who play Karuta. And this series, I feel like, and this is where I think my opinion differs from a lot of people out there. And, you know, I think it just comes down to personal taste. And I'm not saying that one of us is right and one of us isn't because a lot of the people who I've spoken to, I see their opinions on it. And I think this show focuses more on the characters than previous shows. And I've heard people say that they feel this show focuses more on the karuta. But I always viewed the karuta as a means of the characters learning about themselves and understanding themselves. And I think that's really illustrated in this show. And I really enjoyed this about this show. I liked seeing the backstory to the characters. I liked learning about all a lot of the characters. And... They did it with a lot of members on the Karuta team that we never seen before. And one notable example is uh, Kanade Oe. And she was a member recruited last season. And last season she was just kind of the new member who I liked, but I couldn't, I don't want to say I couldn't care less about, but she was just kind of there. But she, she was a little more to me than the new kimono girl. Because her mom works at a kimono shop and, and one of the reasons why she wanted to play is she loves Japanese history and she wanted to give them all hakama to wear when they play karuta, which is, you know, traditional clothing. But in season two, she really wins over the viewers. And this is what I'm what I'm saying about how you learn about the characters through karuta. And yes, it might be a little heavy handed at times, but there are times where something is happening and she'll just 
say one of the hundred poems and kind of smile and it's not so heavy-handed that she goes into explaining how that poem applies but it's basically she's commenting on the nature of the characters through the hundred poems and she's taking a moment that she's realizing how the poems apply to the characters and the situations and she says one and so it's really characters through Karuta is is the entire show and not to mention so I love that about her insightful nature and not to mention I think Taichi and Chihaya fans of that pairing will really love her particular degree of insightfulness as she tries to help push their relationship speaking of that's another thing that they progress more in the season is the romance. And this is definitely it's it's not a it's not a shoujo, it's a jose show. So it's huh. a show that's it's for old ladies. <laughs> it's not, not for old, old ladies. ladies. It's for people like my age, people in their twenties to their thirties, you know? And it's a Jose man- uh, manga and anime. And the romance is a factor. And I, it makes me squeal, and I love it, and screw you. If you don't like romance, the show isn't for you because that's the other genre that it is. It's it's slice of life, drama, sports karuta, and romance. That's what it is. And it they're, the characters start to have self-awareness that they didn't have before. Uh, we see the love triangle. There, it is a love triangle show, but it's not extraordinarily obnoxious. I don't know how they do it where the love triangle doesn't become obnoxious and it still is there enough to make you go, oh, who is she going to end up with? Without going, oh my God, who is she going to end up with? And it develops. The relationships between Taichi and Chihaya, who are on the same team, and Arata, who is Chihaya's childhood friend and her karuta god, and she pretty much says that, that she sees him as like a karuta god, and it, the relationship between Taichi and Arata develops, the relationship between Arata and Chihaya develops and changes, and the relationship between Chihaya and Taichi develops. And, and it's nice to see that development happening because I would say in this series, there's more of an admittance on all parties that there is romance involved. And, and it's nice to see. It's nice to see that they're, they're evolving that. And I won't spoil it, but even Shihaya begins to evolve from the completely clueless girl we met last season to having some awareness of romantic feelings. Um, and the romance in the show is like a slow-moving boulder. Once it gains momentum, it'll crash into your heart right at the end of the series. I rewatched the last episode twice because of of stuff that happens there, and it's it's not overt. And that's what makes it even more meaningful is that it's not overt. It's not like she just like smacks one on one of the one of the boys and and if you're waiting for that I just spoiled it's not gonna happen but it's because it's not overt it almost means more to have a a mental awareness rather than a physical awareness the biggest criticism I can say for this show as previously touched on and I think most people will agree is the pace well well I kept feeling like I was hanging on for more and begging for the next morning I truly have fallen in love with the characters, and I know that really helps this. If you don't love these characters and you don't actually like Karuta a little, which I also like, I could see how this season would drag. I I could see how it would. Because they spend a lot of time, if you aren't looking at each of the characters' moments carefully and how they're changing, I could see how it spends a lot of time not doing much in that 
perspective. By the end of the season, they've only played in two tournaments, and one weekend tournament took the better part of the second half. But that weekend tournament did accomplish a lot. People leveled up, I'll just say that, um, without spoiling much. So, so things were accomplished. So I feel like a lot of people's criticism with the pace are people who don't really, really love the characters. And this is a show that if you don't really, really love the characters, you're not going to enjoy what happens this season. Um, but even this, I don't mind because as I said, they accomplished goals and the series ended up somewhere. I feel far beyond where it started. The characters changed, the Karuta changed for them and it moved. And that I feel is, is enough more than enough in some cases. Of course, if you didn't like the first season, if you don't like the characters, I don't know why you're bothering to watch a second season. Yeah. Yeah. But but I'm saying there's a difference between being amused by the first season and kind of liking it and really loving them. Um, so the ending, speaking of, to kind of round it out, it's another to be continued. So if you're in too deep like me, you're going to be begging for more. And I'm going to assume it will be getting another season. Uh, as I said, it's truly a to be continued. It's... They're... There were no conclusions. Um, the the small level conclusions that they set out for this season, a lot of them were accomplished. But on the grander scheme of what the series is setting itself up to be, there were no conclusions. So I'm going to assume in my score it will be getting a, another season. There's already an OVA coming out soon that's going to bundle with, I think, the 24th or 22nd or 23rd something volume of the manga. But... If it doesn't, this show is left completely unfinished. And and that would would really, 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 really... Grind your it. gears? Yeah, grind my gears. So, in the end... But don't you know, you're just supposed to go read the manga and, and read the light novel and, uh, you know... I may. I just may. <laughs> um, I started reading it in Japanese, actually. I'm struggling through it. In the end, I give this show four out of five spinning top Karuta players. Because in my opinion, it was at least as good as the first season. In different ways, but it was at least as good as the first season. And I gave that one a four. And yeah, okay, I could see a more fair score maybe being a three and a half, three point seven five, But I'm going to call fandom here and, and give it a four. Screw it. If you don't agree with me, go home. And that's my review, and that's 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 sticking to it. Okay, well, a four, a four. That's you gave it a four. I did. How dare you give anything a four? I know, Cram. It <laughs> it really hurts you inside, doesn't it? I almost feel like you'd enjoy the show, Cram. I might. I, I feel like if we watch, I really feel because, as I said, the first season has such an amazing start. Mm. If we watch the first five episodes, you would be hooked. You would be you screwed. Be right. You would be screwed. Sorry, if we're gonna watch, if 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 Cram's gonna watch any sports anime, it's gonna be free. <laughs> no, it's gonna be Hajime no Ippo. So let's be realistic right. here. So okay, so that was the end of the episode. We uh, we did it. We did it again. I did it again. I'm I uh, I'm you know glad that everybody in the chat joined us. It's uh. Always nice to have people to talk to while we're doing our show. Sorry and for the technical difficulties. Yeah, Chat's we did been have, going down. We did have a little bit of trouble stream. tonight, but but that's worth that worth is worth mentioning. We would love to switch to YouTube 
as our streaming provider. But to do that, we can't use a lot of the music we've been using because YouTube will kick us off. So please, please make us a theme song. Anyone, just something. Send us something. Talented people. We ha- have we not received anything yet? We haven't received anything. What? You guys. What? All right. That's how it's going to be. Okay, so once again, you can find us at our website, www.aaapodcast.com. We're also on iTunes, so please rate us if you like us, and make sure to subscribe so you can get the free updates on the uh, on that service. We're also on Facebook, so come check us out there, and Twitter, at you can tweet us at AAA Podcast, where tweet, you tweet. can get pictures of all of our things that's going on in Japan and all the random happenings. And of course, live every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ustream.tv. The closing theme taking you out today is the song Soda to Kimi no Message from the anime Suisei no Gargantia by the artist Chocho. See you, everyone. And we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.